Off top, candy corn was originally called chicken feed. Happy Halloween. Play the music. This is the Dominique Foxworth Show. What's up, Charlie? Candy corn is disgusting, by the way. It's not disgusting, but I don't like it. It's not good. It's fine. It's fine. No one's ever went and looked for candy corn. No one, like, wants candy corn. It's there. You might eat it, but it's not good. But, like, among the worst candies around. You occasionally enjoy it. A handful of candy corn? Not that bad. Eh, not that good. Yeah, passable. Which is what we can say about a lot of teams in the NFL this year. Everybody. Great great segue. (laughs) Everybody is not that good and not that bad at the same time. It's so much fun. All right, so we solicited some mailbag questions this week, which should be kind of fun. So I appreciate fan participation. What we got, Charlie? All right, first one. This one comes from at T-Shep, iBurner account on Twitter. Um, His question, if the season were to end this week, should a QB win the MVP award? Uh, but we're going to rephrase this a little bit because I think we can expand it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tyreek Hill became the first player in the Super Bowl, Super Bowl era to reach 1,000 receiving yards by week eight. Do you think he Oof. should be a legitimate MVP candidate? I mean, a legitimate MVP candidate, absolutely. He should be. Uh, in this season, it seems like quarterback play generally has been down. So this feels like an opportunity that maybe a non-quarterback could win. Tyreek Hill should be at the run, and I think A.J. Brown's impact on on that Eagles office this year has been incredible. He should be in the running. Uh, Miles Garrett, uh, the problem is the Browns aren't winning enough football games and the defense is really good, but not dominant enough. The same could be said uh, for Micah Parsons. I think a quarterback's probably going to win it because eventually they always do. But right now I would go Tyreek Hill. He, especially if he goes on historic pace, if he gets 2000 yards, the first receiver ever to do that in the history of football and no other uh, player, no other quarterback kind of takes the mantle. I think Tyreek Hill should get it. Yeah. I mean, right now Tua has the third best MVP odds, which are better than Tyreek Hills. And I don't, I don't understand why Tyreek shouldn't get the votes that are going to Tua. I think without, I wonder if you think this too, without Tyreek Hill, the offense takes a much bigger hit than it would be if you lost Tua. And that that's sort of the differentiating thing between him and AJ Brown, where I think the Eagles would be competent offensively with how much talent they have around Jalen Hurts. The Dolphins might not be without Tyreek completely changing the geometry of the field. Yeah, I mean, that's a a rough theory to prove. I think, ah, I'm not even sure. Like, I agree that Tyreek Hill is more valuable than uh, Tua to that offense until you present the, the possibility that they could play a game without one of them. Uh, I guess Mike White's the backup there, right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. The quarterback's so important, and that's why they always win most valuable. Uh, I, I'm going to stick with this theory no matter how uh, shaky my voice sounds and say, yes, the offense would be much worse off with uh, a backup quarterback than a backup receiver. That sounds crazy. It's crazy when it's just like the the Steph Curry of wide receivers who bends the NFL that much. Um, worth noting, a wide receiver has never won the award. The last time a non-QB won was Adrian Peterson in 2012. And the last time a non-quarterback running back won was Lawrence Taylor in 1986. It's been a while. Oh, Lawrence Taylor. Nice. Yeah, that was going to be my guess. But, yeah, I don't see it happening this year for a defensive guy. I don't know if it'll ever happen again. They need a new award, some other award. Just one for quarterbacks Mm. so that the MVP can be for non-quarterbacks. It feels unfair to 
have players be kind of confined to offensive and defensive player of the year because there's nothing that we can do. The way the game has changed, there's nothing you can do but give it to a quarterback. Next one. This one comes from Patty Kenny on Twitter. Um, who would you rather have? Dolphins offense or the Browns defense? These are historic ah, units. It's not just a normal, yeah. like, best offense, best defense in the NFL. The gap is significant this year for both of these units. Yeah. This is hurting We've you. seen both this of them. You. Yeah, it's, it's tough because we've seen both of them not live up mm-hmm. to their, their uh, stats in big situations. I think if you ask me the question just in isolation, would you rather have a historic offense or historic defense? I think I'd rather have a historic defense, but given these two teams, I think I'd rather have the Dolphins offense. Nope. Give me the the Browns defense. I think I'd rather have the Browns defense and try to manufacture some offense around trick plays and coaching than try to figure out a way to stop people. Yeah, I mean, I think you can with an average offense, like that's what we're assuming you're going to get is an average offense or an average defense to go opposite this or slightly below that. Sure. Who's the, yeah. So I think I'd be more comfortable with a defense that I think is going to give me a short feel and is going to keep me in every game and try not to make mistakes offensively. The thing about, uh, yeah, the thing about defense is you can't make mistakes the whole game. Mm -hmm. So like, I feel like if I can get a great defense, I'd feel more comfortable expecting that from a great defense. An offense, like you can get away with taking a couple series off on an offense. So if I have an average offense, I feel more comfortable being conservative there. It's not much you can do if your defense stinks. Yeah, I mean, the Browns' current situation is not just an average or below average offense. They're basically expecting their defense to do everything, and they've been you know, a solid team with a situation that's completely unique in that sense. Um, I mean, yeah, no, I know. What do you think? It'd be much more fun to have the Dolphins offense. <laughs> yeah, it'd be fun, but I think it'd be less uh, likely to succeed. I, I mean, maybe, maybe. I mean, that's the, yeah. the, like, you've seen the greatest show on turf offenses win Super Bowls. You've seen the Ravens defenses right. win Super Bowls. When, when a unit is so historic, you can win either way. Um, next topic. This one comes from Vince Luxie on Twitter. Uh, saw you on Get Up this morning. How did you maintain oh. your composure while Dan Orlovsky tried to explain how Zach Wilson is a very good quarterback? And then I'm going to expand this again because we can go to the Orlovsky part about this. But also, I want to expand this question. Dominique, are you aware of your reaction on, deba- on debate shows? You've had a few moments that have uh, been screenshotted and gone viral because you keep it real. <laughs> yeah, I feel bad about some of those reactions. Um, I am aware of those reactions, and I was prepared for Dan's take today. So I I knew how foolish it was going to be. Some of the, the reactions that I give that go viral are truly like an instinct, and the camera people or the director goes to me, and I'm like, I feel bad afterwards. But the pre-show meeting, sometimes we go through the things that people are going to say. So I knew Dan was going to say that, and so I was ready for it. And I wasn't going to try to embarrass him. It was stupid. It's fine. The man is a takesman. And that is a great take. He knew this on Monday morning that he could get some get some mileage out of that take because the tough thing about like a good take is one that when you hear it, it grabs your attention and you're like, what? That's crazy. Then you're able to support it. 
in a way that people walk away thinking, uh, okay. Like that to me feels like a good take. So an eye-catching headline with some actual analysis behind it to support. And Dan's, the only thing, the issue with Dan's take for me was he would not add the proper qualifiers. That's all I wanted because he's right. It was a great game for Zach Wilson. That's all. Just add that qualifier. This is great for Zach because the bar for Zach is lower. Arguing that a man with a 36 QBR and who could only muster seven points without Brian Dayball uh, ruining it for him and could punt a trillion times, like arguing that he had a great game or a very good game, is just asinine. But if you say, for what we expected from Zach Wilson, he played better. Yeah, that's it. Mm. All right, next one. Uh, from Freshface72 on Twitter. You're 80 yards away from a game-winning score. Who do you pick to quarterback your team? Mahomes is unavailable, and you have to use the Patriots skill players. The Patriots skill players, Mahomes is unavailable. Um, so you go a bunch of different ways. I think uh, Matt Stafford comes to mind as someone that mm. you would not have expected me to say. I think... Uh, the tough thing is the teams or the players who have had the most kind of game-winning drives, always kind of guys that aren't on traditionally on good teams, which is why Stafford is, I think, the highest uh, amongst active players. And I think uh, Russell Wilson might be up there too. But they've played a long time. And at least for Stafford, he played on a lot of teams that aren't good. I think... Lamar is obviously wins most of his game and has never been just the exclusive when you take the running dimension away from him, it makes him less productive. But I think this new look Lamar might be different. We'll see him in that in those situations at some point, but maybe we won't because they are never trailing. Um, but the obvious, I think you think you look at Burrow and Allen mm-hmm. and and Herbert, I guess, too, who's also accustomed to coming back. Okay. I mean, the guy who blew the twenty-eight to zero lead in the playoffs. Right. I, yep. I know. That that's a that's a different. That's an entirely different assignment. You're asking me who can lead someone on a game-winning drive. Yep. Because he's great, holding on great to a lead. Is a, is a different assignment. Um, I think it's not who I would pick, but I think his name. I just <laughs> sure. want to put all the names on the yeah, table. Yeah, get to the His name yards. deserves to be in the convers. He he deserves to be in the conversation. He has plenty of experience of trying to lead his team on a game-winning drive just before sixty minutes comes on. All right. So I would put him out. So it's probably Allen or Burrow. And I mean, not based on any real in-depth analysis, but Joe Cool is just so damn cool that I think I got to go. Got to go Burrow. Uh, I think I go Burrow, then Stafford, then Allen Hmm. of the active non-Mahomes guys. Yeah, I I, for me, it came down to, uh, you know, Burrow and Allen also. It's like, Obviously, there's the 13 second game, which is the game that we saw Josh Allen put yeah. up the fireworks. Um, and he's the he's the Leroy Jenkins choice for this, where he <laughs> might just throw himself down the field, and there's a chance it'll work out. But Burrow has done it so many times, where in pressure situations, he seems to always make the right decision, no matter who is going to get the ball. So I think I that's like the one. I, so yeah, that's one. Um, but I always like to remind myself when we talk about this how fickle this stuff is and when you think about burrow i was it last year or was two years ago i don't know it's one of these games where i guess it was two years ago when uh yeah it was the the year that 
the Bengals went to the Super Bowl and lost. They beat the Chiefs. And Joe Burrow threw on his game-winning drive. Is he the game-winning or game-tying drive? I probably should have looked this up. But it stands out in my mind that Joe Burrow threw two interceptable passes, like easily interceptable passes that were dropped. He threw them into the chest of linebackers. And I'd just like to remind myself, in the course of these games, everybody messes up. And sometimes it's about randomness and luck. And the way that we remember Joe Burrow and the way that we talk about Joe Burrow is a lot about how well he played in the Super Bowl and how great he did. He was on that run. And there's just like, I think Mahomes has had situations like that also on his great runs where he throws a couple of them. They hit people in the chest and they, and they don't catch him. And then all we remember is this man was clutch. I mean, how about Stafford? He threw the ball directly to Jaquaski Tart. Oh, exactly. Yeah. And the NFC championship game that comeback right at Jaquaski Tart, he dropped it and they ended up going on to win a Super Bowl. And all we remember is this throwing no look passes and on the biggest drop. Never mind. I changed my mind. I'm going Stafford because that's the coldest I've ever seen. This man wanted to win the Super Bowl game winning Super Bowl drive throwing no look passes. Yeah. Hot damn. That was incredible. Especially when it was to a receiver that you said isn't the number one receiver over and over and over again in Cooper Cup. Man, I hate it. I hate having a co-host. Um, now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur. Barnstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. It's awful. I they remember everything. <laughs> they say that you don't want to hear ever again, but I was accurate. My next question. This one comes from Trey in Dallas. Uh, the 49ers Super Bowl odds have barely budged during their three-game losing streak. They still have the second-best odds to win the Super Bowl after the Chiefs, even after losing three in a row. Does it feel like Vegas is showing them too much respect? Uh, it does to me. Losing three in a row is not something I, I don't know what the history of pro football is, but I can't imagine that there's been too many Super Bowl champs that have lost three in a row and they don't have an injury to their quarterback. Like, I don't know that that's happened ever in the history of football. It seems unlikely. Doesn't mean it can't happen. But more um, concerning to me than they're losing three in a row is how they're losing. And uh, we did a, I did a little footage on Get Up About This earlier today. This team is a lot like the Cowboys in that they're game script dependent. They offensively. And I think the Cowboys are like that defensively. So by that, I mean the Cowboys defense is a lot better when their offense can get them some early points. 
And I think the same thing can be said for the 49ers offense. It's a lot better when their defense is balling out, not only giving them a short field, but causing three and outs and getting them back on the field, but keeping the game close. Mm -hmm. Because I I think we have to accept that Brock Purdy is better than Jimmy Garoppolo and much better than most second-year quarterbacks and very good. But Brock Purdy has not graduated to the point yet where he can survive, or not survive, where he can thrive when you don't have the threat of play action. Mm -hmm. And the thing, if you look back over the types of Brock's most impressive passes, they're all over the middle of the field, uh, feathered in over the linebackers and in front of the safeties. And without the threat of play action, the linebackers get deeper. Those throws are much harder. You notice all the interceptions in the last couple weeks, most of them, the exception of that one freaky tip one on the sideline, most of the interceptions and a couple dropped interceptions have been him hitting that middle of the field, drilling safeties in the chest, drilling linebackers in the chest. Those windows are tight. You're asking a lot for a guy who also throws a lot on anticipation. He's like trusting that stuff's going to be there. And that's a a very nice trait to have for a Shanahan quarterback to trust that things are going to be there. But when them things ain't there, and the defense knows that's what you want to do, it's really tough for them. So that defense is what has me concerned. So, uh, yeah, three, uh, seven teams in NFL history have won the Super Bowl after losing three games in a row, uh, most recently the 2021 wow. Rams. But also, as our friend, beloved guest of the show, Chris Cantia said, they lost four in a row, the 2011 Giants. Oh, that's right. That was a random fluky yeah. occurrence. They went from s- So how many Super Bowls are we up now to? Like 57 or something? something 58? Like but yeah, they went from six oh and two God. to six and six, and then we didn't we you know didn't think they were that good. That's a himbo level stat pulling by you, by the way. I just threw that out at you. Most people can't find it that quickly. I got G well got G chatted to me. I knew. I assumed it did, but I was trying to play you up, trying oh, to give you some you. love. Um, no, don't give that credit to Brian or Kevin or whoever did G chatted you. Yeah. Um. Well, we're gonna go to a couple tag uh, questions now from friends of the show. Uh, okay. This one was written in by Kevin Clark who sent over in 2010 pro football focus created a stat called tackling efficiency, which ranked Dominique Foxworth as one of the 10 worst tacklers at his position. Asante Samuel was the clear, clear number one, two part question. How do you explain this? And was this the moment that analytics truly started to get how perfectly accurate uh, they are now and how football works? Um, I don't know what the hell tackling efficiency is. Um, I, I was always a really good tackler. Like I was not, that was not my concern. Yeah, I don't know. Cool. Good job, guys. Asante Samuel should be in the Hall of Fame. I don't know if he should or shouldn't be, but he's made an argument for it, and I kind of I liked him. He's a good cornerback. Put him in. Uh, lost the Super Bowl. Um, he lost the Super Bowl. He won some, too. Yeah, but he didn't he? tipped that ball. The, oh, yeah. oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I remember that. Um, Yeah, this wasn't a real question. This was just I was going to try to answer like a real question. Then it just hit me that this was just uh, Kevin Clark trying to troll me. So. I mean— Thanks, Kevin. I, I feel confident you have better tackling efficiency than Kevin Clark. And I also love. It's always the thing. It's always the thing when like you or Kevin or somebody makes fun of people. me for like my career not being as great as like a Hall of Famers or whatever. It's like, okay, so <laughs> I played in the professional oh, football no. league, guys. I'm better than you at that and at this. Sorry, Kevin. That gotta hurt. I'm a better football player than Kevin, a better writer than Kevin, a better podcaster than Kevin, better looking than Kevin. So you can have this one good win. I'm an inefficient tackler, Kevin. This is what you get. You win. This is what you get for t- treating us like normal people. 
We get the confidence <laughs> to, to clap back at this. And then you can hit us with the thumbs up and say, cool story, Kevin. Great, great question. Um, uh, the next one is from Elle Duncan, who writes in. Oh, I love Elle. When's she coming back on the show? I miss her. Soon. Um, you guys talk a okay. lot about organization and situation being the most important thing to a football player's career. From your perspective, what characteristics define a good organization and a bad organization? Oh, it's a great question. So I think it could be different for different organizations, but the broad thing that I think is stability. So I think stability and structure that is, has been there for the long haul. And I think consistently following like uh, a consistent decision-making pattern that is supported by logic and, and a philosophy and a philosophy that's supported by some, again, some proven statistics Something and and so, I think not only are you more prone to have some success that way, but I do think that that permeates the organization when you're like, man, we have a principle. This is our thing, and you also need to have players. Uh, one of the things that I think gets lost in this is, on every level of an organization, you need leaders to who are bought in, who can consistently carry on the things that you think are important. And I point to the Ravens and the Broncos as two organizations that I played at that had this at the time, whereas uh, it was Mike Shanahan there forever in Denver and Gary Kubiak, Rick Smith for a time, and uh, a bunch of those guys had been there for a long time and were doing things the same way. And they had players that would make sure things were done the same way. And the organizational stability it's about these small decisions often or small behaviors that reinforce decisions. So one thing we did in Denver all the time was we had a weekly team dinner or unit dinner. So defense would have dinner together every Friday. Offense would do the same thing every Friday. And I think that those types of things, and it was Al Wilson was the middle linebacker carrying on those traditions. Champ was there carrying on some of those traditions. And it's sometimes those little small things that I think build a connection between your team and they can't be quantified. And we get away from the idea that players are people and start to think of them as um, parts. And I think it's natural for fans to do that because we don't know these guys. They're just stats and they're little figures on our screen that do this. But if you are running an organization, when you start thinking about them as interchangeable, interchangeable parts and not aware of the other value that they bring to your team, I think you can kind of lose those things, which is why there was, um, there was a guy on the Ravens team that was like a special teams guy. He didn't play a bunch. He wasn't all that good. But he kept, they kept him around because he, like, enforced or reinforced the like rituals and principles and practices that that Ray was passing on and Ed was passing on and Sizzle knew and Haloti knew and and uh, all the way down from Ozzy at the top. So question about this. I mean, the Patriots had a dynasty for like 20 years where it seemed like the organization treated certain players like interchangeable parts. Is that a testament to just how big of an advantage it was having Tom Brady that let you cover up those warts? Yeah, I don't think they treated all their players like interchangeable mm -hmm. parts, though. I think, like, Tom Brady is a special case, and he did preserve that culture, a lot of it. I think Slater was there a, right. a long time. The McCourty boys were there a long time. The slot receivers were there for 
extended period of time. Gronk was there for extended periods of time. I think that they always had enough guys that when they when someone got too expensive, they could move on. But I think that they were aware of that culture. And they, like the Patriot way wasn't, right. I mean, it's a thing. And I, I think those weird slogans are kind of dumb and annoying, but it's an easy kind of shorthand to remind you like, this is how we do things around here. And when you're a young player, when I was young, like in my 20s, those type of things I thought were dumb. But as I get older, I think I recognize and appreciate the value of those, like, silly kind of rituals. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. I, uh, the next one is from producer Brian, who says, how many inches taller would you have needed to be to make the NBA? Uh, this is producer Brian, who thinks that he can beat me in basketball. Right. Um, okay, my joke answer is one inch. I just had to decide to play basketball. But I've told you this before. When I was... Um, like young, five or six, I was like a, a pretty good athlete. And I chose football out of all the sports because I thought it was like extra masculine and tough. And it was like the soft kids play basketball, the real men play football. So, I mean, if I would have just made a different decision back then, I would just be, I mean, there are guys who are like 5'10", 5, 5'11", 5, NBA. I'll be in NBA right now. Hmm. Okay, no chance. The real answer. <sighs> so I maintain this level of athleticism. And I commit myself to practicing enough to learn how to shoot, like, at a higher level. I think that I could be a 3 and D guy if I was 6'6". Six, six. I think that's a totally legitimate answer. I thought you were going to say 6'2", yeah. which is also, like, like on the oh, borderline. No, no, no. But 6'6", six, 6'6", six, six, no, six no, is no, great. No, 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 no. The, yeah, you I, could be Anthony Roberson. Honestly, you could be Anthony Roberson with seven inches now. Yeah, I mean, basketball is an international sorry. sport. <laughs> Yeah, I was wondering who that was, but um, basketball is an international sport, and the rosters are smaller. It is a lot more difficult to get to the NBA than to get to the NFL. Um, However, the guys that – finding someone who is that tall and that coordinated is hard. Mm -hmm. So, like, if I could maintain this level of coordination and be, like, 6'6", yeah, I'm in. 6'7", I'm in. Maybe 6'5". But when you get down to 6'4 and below, we're talking guards? Nah. Right. Nah. Nah, that's a different skill set. I'm talking about a position where my athleticism could serve me. Like, nah, I can't handle the ball or shoot nearly well enough to be an NBA guard. I might have got a scholarship or something to a low D1 school, but that's about it. Um, Time for some parenting questions. This one comes from Mina Kimes. Will I ever sleep again? <laughs> um, they always say to sleep when the baby sleeps, when the baby is is born. Um, Mina is someone who does not sleep all that well now, so she should be ready and used to it. Uh, I'd say you won't sleep easy, that's for sure, for a long time. Um, but maybe you will sleep again at some point. The thing is, it's not even about them keeping you up, it's about them stressing you out. 
like, I just worry, man. And it's a weird place to be in to not have any control. I guess it kind of feels like being a coach of a, of a team where it's like, all right, I do everything I can to get everything right, but y'all still got to execute the game plan. And we're past the age where they're waking up crying at night, but man, if I don't worry about what they're going to do at school, how they're going to do in life, what's going to happen next. Yeah. It's, be like Charlie, have some dogs. <laughs> um, the last one is from Spencer Hall. It says, Fox, do you do what I do and misapply your advanced degree in your everyday life? A few examples of what I, that, uh, that I do. Am I maximizing or minimizing my spice cabinet? Did I just run a utility check slash profits and losses analysis on, my, on which homework I do with my kids? Uh, this one's clearly never going to get math, so let's just focus on other stuff, et cetera, et cetera. Is this something you also do, Dominique? Absolutely. Like I miss, I misapply my degree all the time because what I use it for more than anything is just hit people over the head with it who misjudge me and assume that I'm an athlete. That's the real purpose of my fancy advanced business degree is that I can roll it up and sock some, some smug snob in the head and say, oh, I mean, oh yeah, I've been there. I did that. But seriously though, I think I'm a sucker for a framework mm-hmm. and HBS is like a, a business school, but I think more than anything, it's a leadership school and different business schools like focus on different things. So like Wharton is Penn's business school and that's like a quant school. If you want to go be a, like a freak on Excel, that's where you go. If you want to run the company, uh, Harvard is kind of the place where you go to learn about leadership and all those other things. And I found that, I mean, our conversation about organizational stability, like I find that I apply a lot of those principles and I love a good framework. So framework is essentially like a Venn diagram kind of that I use sometimes like RPPs is a good one that I use is resources, priorities, and um, processes. And that's a good way to analyze the situation, any situation. So it's meant to use to analyze like a business situation. You think of all the resources that you have, you line them up, you line up all the priorities that you have, and then you um, figure out or line up the processes that you use. And then you figure out if these things match to get the goals that you want. And you can easily use that. And I have in the past when I'm evaluating things uh, for this job or things in my family. So it's really helpful. It's really dumb, but really helpful. It's just a good way to clearly think about things. Um, I'm just stunned that Freak on Excel came up on our show on a show without Barnwell. <sighs> yeah, Bill Barnwell would definitely be a Wharton guy. He's all in them, in them quantum Freak on Excel. <sighs> now I'm just thinking of Freaks come out at night. What's <laughs> Freaking the Excel sheets. Um, do you know? Yeah. Do you know? You know, there's no chance you know who sings Freaks Come Out at Night. No idea. Or raps it. Houdini, it's an old rap group from the 80s. This is before my time, too, but that was back when people would make noises like, oh, ha, ha, while they were rapping, which is always fun. Hmm. That means nothing to you. There's a lot of old black men listening to this right now getting a good chuckle because they remember when rappers would say, oh, ha, ha, ha. I don't know if that uh, that age audience knows how to open their podcast app. <laughs> Fair point, too. You should see uh, me recommending a podcast to my dad <laughs> or my father-in-law. Oh, father-in-law loves the good podcast, but somebody got to turn that you, on for you. I mean, I'm sure you have that the same thing. Our podcast in particular, my parents are like, how do I get it? How do I open it? <laughs> no, I have not because I steer people in my life away. It's a really weird trait, but I do it. I don't know. I don't like... I'm. I, this is remember we joked about how I I mean 
I, I made an argument one of our times we were in New York gallivanting, and I said that I could do a five-minute stand-up set. Mm-hmm. I think that my stand-up set might be about privacy or just, like, compartmentalization and how worlds change because I miss it. I like the idea that my work is work. I don't want to talk about my job, my family. I hate when my family sees me on TV making jokes or analyzing football. Leave me alone, friends and family. We are friends and family. You are not viewers or or co-hosts. Don't talk to me about this It's fair. I think this is the difference of, like, that you've been – uh, on TV for a bunch of different things for a long time because my parents are like, yeah. oh my God, you're sitting on a set with like Dominique. This is so cool. <laughs> yeah. Aren't you so proud? And then I come here, I'm like, nope, Dominique's actually ashamed of me. He doesn't want to talk about it with his family at all. <laughs> I, I tell my family all the time, you should watch Charlie on this podcast. Don't listen to the other guy, but check out That's Charlie. Right. <laughs> Great teammate. Uh, Great organizational stability. We have it. Um, do we have any more questions? Hmm. I love it. That was fun. Thank you, Charlie. Mm. Thank you, listeners, for producing this show. It's been really, really fun and awesome. Um, also, thank you, producers. Thank you, Podville, Brian, Kevin, Megan, Serafina. That's it. We out. This is the Dominique Foxworth Show.